Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm a beggar, and I found bread. The bread of life, Yeshua the Messiah. And I want others to know where to find the bread of life that they would experience a favorable fate. This episode, Our Destiny. You can credit the Black Veil Brides for the title to this episode. Straight out of Cincinnati, yo. Full disclosure, don't really know a lot about BVB, except that their band name is a reference to the Roman Catholic description, Black Veil Bride, which refers to a woman who marries into the Catholic faith and sets aside all worldly pleasures, or something to that effect. Also, the lead singer, Andrew Biersek, used to call himself Andy Six, S-I-X-X, kind of like Nikki Six of Motley Crue. And he was a big crew fan growing up, so I suppose maybe he was trying to do it as an homage, but that kind of reeks of cop and Nicky steezy, you know, just ripping off his style. That ain't cool. Eh. Either way, it's not about the music. It's about the message, our destiny. Actually, destiny or predestination is not the entire topic of this episode. It does cover a portion of it, but narrowing down to one title and one one song title to reference it to was kind of challenging because there's a lot going on in the portion of scripture we're going to read today. And it does come, you should know, by request, a listener request, which I know I've said in the past, the only request I'm ever going to play is Freebird, but I make exceptions, and I'm making an exception in this case. So we're going to be taking a look at a portion of scripture in the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the believers in Rome. So before we jump into that passage, let's get some context on this letter, because as with all of scripture, it was not written to us. It was definitely written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to a specific group of people at a specific time in history for a specific purpose. So we should know those things. Here's some of the context. Who wrote it? The Apostle Paul. And he is a Torah-observant Jew, a member of the Pharisees, and a follower of the Messiah, Yeshua. To whom was Paul writing? Roman believers in the Messiah Yeshua, which consisted of three primary groups. Natural-born, legal, or halakhic Jews, who were believers in Yeshua. Jewish proselytes, which is people who were Gentiles who converted. They were proselytized and became Jewish, also followers of Yeshua. And the third group are Gentiles. These are called God-fearers, the God-fearing Gentiles, who, again, also believed in and followed Yeshua the Messiah. The God-fearers, as I've touched on in past episodes, were men and women who were Gentiles, but believed in the God of Israel, Adonai Elohim. So, when was this letter written? Oh, we should also know that... um, Actually, at this time in history, uh, Rome was, I think, the fourth most uh, heaviest Jewish-populated city. They had the, the, the fourth largest population of Jews were in Rome. Just a little bit of a side note. 
So when was this letter written? Uh, it was written before the year 60 Common Era or 60 AD, probably around the year 57. And Paul was writing um, probably from Corinth. Why was it written? Well, Paul is writing. This is, uh, we should note that this is prior to him ever going to Rome. He had not been to Rome yet. And so he's not writing to one of his congregations. He is writing because of the reports that the Gentile God-fearers are undergoing proselytization to become Jewish. Now, in other places where Paul had preached, taught, and written his, his letters, some of the followers of Yeshua were strongly influenced, Gentile followers of Yeshua were strongly influenced and even forced to become Jewish. They were being told that they had to be Jewish if they wanted a portion in Olam Haba, the world which is to come. And this was also occurring in Rome. Paul was getting reports that this was going on in Rome. Also, in Rome, there's an added twist. You had to worship their gods. It was illegal to not worship their gods. The one exception was the Jews, who practiced monotheism and worshipped only the God of Israel, Hashem. So for these God-fearing Gentiles who worshipped Hashem and believed in Yeshua, their lives were literally in peril if they did not become Jewish. The Jews were the only ones exempt from the requirement to worship the Roman as the Romans did, worshipping their gods. So in his letter, to the believers in Rome, Paul addresses all three of the previously mentioned groups at separate times in the letter, and he also occasionally will address all three at once, corporately. Natural-born and proselytized Jews, as well as the God-fearing Gentiles, all followers of the Messiah Yeshua. Those are the three groups. Now, Paul has developed a false reputation that he is instructing Jews and Gentiles to not follow the Torah in exchange for declaring their faith in Yeshua. This was not true. And when we, you read through the book of Acts and other places, you see Paul went to great lengths to make sure people understood he was Torah observant. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, was informing non-Jews who come to faith in Yeshua that they do not have to become Jewish in order to follow the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. This caused confusion and consternation among the legally Jewish followers. Many times, Paul talks about his gospel. Right? He refers to it in his letters. We read, he says, my gospel. So what is Paul's gospel, and how does it differ from others? what others preached? Well, lots of similarities, of course. Many others were preaching, repent, the kingdom is at hand, believe on the Master Yeshua, and you shall be saved. What was being added was the condition of becoming a Jew in order to receive or achieve salvation, your portion in the coming kingdom. Paul's gospel is... Gentiles who come to faith in Hashem through Yeshua do not have to become Jewish. Now, there's some that's some of the context here and um, from of this letter. There's there's a whole lot more going on, but that gives at least a good general understanding and some background. 
And also, um, a couple definitions and words that Paul uses throughout this letter, and there's several others, but a couple regarding the portion we're, we're going to be reading, Paul uses the word spirit in a couple of different ways. He uses it when referring to the spirit of Elohim and when referring to the spirit of man. Now, sometimes when he uses it, it's, it's spelled out as Holy Spirit or Spirit of Elohim, or in the version I read, Ruach Elohim or Ruach HaKodesh. But other times, he simply uses the word spirit. And that could be also referring to the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Elohim. And he uses the word, simply uses the word spirit when talking about the spirit of man also. So there can be sometimes some confusion the way the way it's written, just uh, determining which which he's referring to. But when you look at the context, you can usually figure figure that out to which he is referring. And you know, when talking about the spirit of man, sometimes there can be confusion, as many of us, and I, I certainly have done this, um, use the word soul and spirit interchangeably, talking about the spirit of man and the soul of man. And there's, there is actually a difference. There is a separation. And particularly in Jewish theology, uh, which our faith comes from and is. Anyway, so um, there, are, there is a Hebrew word that refers to the human, the soul. And that is nefesh. This refers to the soul. And it's oftentimes called in Judaism, the animal soul. And this is what all living creatures possess. It is not eternal. When the body dies, it dies. The spirit of man is the neshama. This is eternal, the neshama. The neshama is with Hashem until he gives it an assignment to occupy a specific corp- corporeal individual, a body. The neshama leaves the heavenly reality and enters creation in a human. And goes from the heavenly reality into concealment within a human, within creation. Each neshama has a specific, unique purpose and mission. The overall general purpose for every neshama is to elevate the creature to the highest spiritual level, a right relationship with Hashem. Additionally, when Paul refers to the flesh, it means just that. The flesh, flesh and bone, the body. He does not mean sinful nature, as some translations carelessly assert. He means, and the understanding would be, in, in uh, Jewish theology and in his understanding at that time, flesh means body, flesh and blood. And he, uh, you know, so he means throughout the letter of Romans, especially there, you know, there's a struggle between what the flesh, the body desires and what the neshama, the spirit desires. I realize that's a lot of background in this episode, but there are these things are important and unfortunately often ignored facts relating to this letter. And without this information, lots of bad teaching and doctrine spews forth. So there you have it. How about we get on to some scripture now? Let's take a look at Romans chapter eight 
And we're going to begin at verse 12. And please note, once again, the Tree of Life version, which I'm reading from, uses the Hebrew word ruach in place of the word spirit when referring to the spirit of Elohim, the spirit of God. Romans 8, starting at verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we do not owe anything to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Ruach you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For all who are led by the Ruach Elohim, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into fear. Rather, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Ruach himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers birth pains until now. And not only creation, but even ourselves. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Ruach, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption, the redemption of our body. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In the same way, the Ruach helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Ruach himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Ruach, because he intercedes for the Kedoshim, the righteous ones or saints, according to the will of God. Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in view of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That is a big chunk, and once again, there's a whole lot going on in what Paul is writing, and I am going to hit on a few of the topics that he addresses within the time that we have. So the first portion of this reads, So then, brothers and sisters, we do not owe anything to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Ruach you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For all who are led by the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So this appears to be really straightforward. If we live solely, completely, to fulfill the desires of our flesh, we die. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. When we allow our neshama, our spirit, to be led by the Ruach, the spirit of Elohim, we can subdue the desires of the flesh, putting them to death so that we may live here and now, as well as in our portion of the coming kingdom. Children of God will be led by his spirit, his breath, his wind. And so next we read that the Ruach himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The spirit of Elohim bears witness with our neshama spirit that we are children of God. So what does this mean? Now, there are some who will say, well, they, they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. They can, they can feel and get this confirming sense, if you will. And I don't discount these experiences, certainly. And I personally have had times when I have sensed or felt the, the presence of Hashem. And I don't know um, that, that this is what Paul is referring to here. I don't, I, I, personally, I don't think that's at least completely what he's referring to here. Um, you know, the, the Ruach, the spirit of Elohim, bears witness with us with a righteous inclination or a righteousness consciousness, um, a desire to do right things. And this is in contrast to the evil inclinations of the flesh. And, you know, even the, um, the, the drive of the animal soul, if you will, the nefesh. So this equals, again, this confirmation, this, uh, this witness that the spirit of Elohim has with us. It equals a desire to think, speak, and act in righteousness, in the ways of Adonai Elohim, our creator. An internal desire to do right according to Adonai Elohim, as his spirit confirms with our neshama that we are his children. Paul then confirms that as children of Hashem, we are heirs, and we will receive the inheritance along with the firstborn son, Yeshua, if we suffer with him. If we endure that suffering, we will be glorified with him. And I certainly believe that this statement is to encourage the God-fearing Gentile believers to endure the suffering they are facing as followers of Yeshua, monotheistic believers believing in the God of Israel, but without being Jewish, to endure that, that suffering. Suffer with the Messiah 
and be glorified with him. Paul continues, uh, verse 18, For I consider the suffering of this present time not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed to us. Now, he's, he's saying no trial or tribulation we face in this present world is worth giving up the coming kingdom. There's nothing we face that is worth denying your faith. Verse 19, for the creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers birth pains until now. And not only creation, but even ourselves, we ourselves, who have the first fruits, the Ruach, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption, the redemption of our body. Paul is speaking here of restoration and redemption. In the same way that humanity is fallen and decaying, so too is all of creation. There will come a time, a, there will come a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem. Creation waits for the sons of God to be revealed, meaning waiting for, and creation even groans for the resurrection, for the full redemption of the body of the children of God. For after judgment, all things will be made new. Creation waits for the sons of God to be revealed, meaning, again, at the resurrection and the, the fullness of redemption. Right now, all of creation is subject to futility. Creation is experiencing entropy, deterioration, decay. It continues in this state until Hashem makes all things new in Olam Haba, the world which is to come. All of creation groans even as we groan, having the deposit of God's Spirit. We await the fullness to include the redemption of our physical bodies. Picking up at verse 24. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if, he, if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for, wait for it with perseverance. In the same way, the Ruach helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Ruach himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Ruach because he intercedes for the Kedoshim according to the will of God. So what's Paul talking about? What is the hope he's talking about here? The hope is redemption, completion in the coming kingdom. And we have a foretaste, but we have not seen all that is to come. Eye has not seen, nor, ear has, uh, nor has ear heard what the Father has in store for us. So we're hoping for what we have not yet seen. Complete redemption for which we eagerly wait with perseverance, enduring sufferings in this life. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Ruach, the Spirit of Elohim, intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Once again, our neshama comes from Hashem. It is concealed within this flesh and it coexists, if you will, with our nefesh, our animal soul within us. So we don't always know how to pray. Sometimes we pray for very fleshly things, for just for our desires, for for uh, you know things that we we want, and the Spirit intercedes for us. He intercedes for the righteous ones, God's children. And some will say this refers to the gift of speaking in tongues. And personally, it is my opinion that this is not the same thing. This is not what Paul is talking about here. To me, it seems quite apparent that the gift of tongues is for the purpose of communicating with other people who do not speak the same language as the one doing the speaking. We see this in Acts chapter 2, and this seems to be what Paul writes about also in 1 Corinthians 12, where he specifies the requirement um, with when, when one speaks in a tongue that there be one who has interpretation, uh, the gift of interpretation of tongues as well. Okay, and that, that gift, anyway, we'll get into that maybe, Lord willing, another time. Some may call um, what is written about in Romans 8, in the passage we're reading, they may call it uh, their prayer language. And when we run out of our thoughts and words and sounds, um, some, things, some things come out of us that don't make sense or are kind of unintelligible. They're, they're groanings from within us. And the Spirit of God is causing us to utter things we don't understand. The Spirit of Elohim communing with our neshama, causing these things to come forth from us. And, and I, am, I am more aligned with this understanding, certainly. Um, however, I do not believe that we do this by our own will, that we force it, um, that, you know, uh, just indiscriminately spouting out sounds or unintelligible verbiage because we feel like it. I believe it being a prayer language led by the Ruach HaKodesh will be between you and the Father. Exactly that, a prayer language. Verses 28 through 30. Now we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. First, verse 28, a favorite of many and with good reason. Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Now, this often is used to say, regardless of what anyone is going through, it's all going to work out in the end. So if you're facing difficulties, hang in there. You'll receive some blessing from it. Now, if we are willing to concede in that understanding that the good or blessing we receive may not be in this life or in this present world, 
If we can concede that, um, you know, the, the blessing or the good that we may receive might very well be in Olam Haba, the world which is to come, the coming kingdom. I, I agree with that interpretation or, uh, or use of this passage. Ultimately, Hashem is in control and he is good. In the moment of trial or suffering, take heart. Keep the faith. Trust Adonai. He is good. And again, there's nothing we can endure here on this, in this life, in this present world, that compares with the glory that is to come. So I definitely see that application here. I'm not convinced that that's what Paul is actually saying in this letter, but I see that application. I want to offer a different understanding and interpretation of uh, this portion of Paul's letter that flows with the context of what he is saying here. So when Paul says, all things work together, I believe he gives he then gives a list of the specific things he is talking about. All things work together for those who love God. And here are the things that work together. Those who are called, those who are foreknown or predestined, and those to be conformed to the image of his son so that Yeshua would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So let's break this down. I'm going to tell you, first of all, I'm not a Calvinist, okay? And nor was the Apostle Paul. <laughs> got to be honest. <laughs> we got to be able to look at that and look at the scriptures and, and, and know that. But so much of his stuff gets taken out of context. Because to truly embrace Calvinism, you'd have to ignore uh, some of the most basic tenets of Judaism, which, number one, being Hashem rewards righteousness and punishes sin. And maybe more on that um, in another episode, Lord willing, we'll set that aside for now. But let's look at these, these three things which work together. The called. Called to what? And this is a common religious word, usually meaning called to ministry or led by God to do something. But... What does Paul mean here? Called to what? What is Paul referring to? Well, I believe he answered that in the first chapter of his letter. In chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we read, And you also are called to Yeshua the Messiah, to all those in Rome loved by God, called to be Kedoshim, which means righteous ones or saints. So called to Yeshua, called to be righteous ones. He's telling these followers of Yeshua, they are called by Hashem to Yeshua and called to be righteous ones. This is the first thing. Next is being foreknown or predestined. Hashem knows the purpose of every neshama before it is concealed into a created body. He knows the purpose. He knows what he created each one to specifically accomplish. But the general overlying purpose for which we are created or our neshama is put into creation, the general overlying purpose is that we would all be conformed. And that is the third thing Paul says works together with the other two, being conformed to the image 
of Yeshua, the Messiah. So when we do this, when we walk as he walked, led by the spirit of Elohim, as children of the Most High God, we show ourselves to be brothers or sisters of the firstborn son, our master, Yeshua HaMashiach. When we consider this, to reconcile what is being said, we must remember, yes, there were many children of God prior to Yeshua here on earth. So what makes him the firstborn among many brothers and sisters? Well, Yeshua is the firstborn of the dead, which is he is the first to be bodily resurrected in the glorified body, which is suitable for Olam Haba. Other people have been resuscitated, revived, or raised from the dead. We see, we see uh, many accounts of that in the scriptures and, and some outside of scripture, extra-biblical texts of others who have been raised from the dead. But Yeshua is the first to be resurrected according to the coming resurrection for all humanity. Thus, he is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters being born from the dead in the glorified body. Hallelujah. So we personally, we have not fully obtained our brother or sisterhood yet. The adoption that Paul talks about as we eagerly await for the resurrection and completion of our adoption as sons at the time of the redemption and resurrection. So a little bit more on the calling, predestination, and conforming. These three things Paul highlights in this letter. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you prophet to the nations. So before Hashem sent Jeremiah's neshama to his body, Hashem says he knew him. That's foreknowledge. Before Jeremiah was born, Hashem set him apart. That is a calling. And Hashem appointed him as a prophet, That's which is a predestination to which Jeremiah is assigned to conform. You can also look at Isaiah 49. It lays out um, these three things as referring to Messiah. Take a look at that. And back to Romans, Paul is not talking about people being predestined to heaven or hell. That's not what this is about. He's not talking about who is predestined to the, the coming kingdom or Gehenna. No, that's not what he's talking about. And that does not align with, with the faith. We are foreknown as our neshama was with Hashem. We are each called to fulfill a specific purpose in, and through doing so, in which we will conform, this will conform us to the image of his son, Yeshua, the Messiah. We all have a choice as to whether we will fulfill our mission or not, which will determine whether or not we return to Hashem. And there are some according to the Hasidic understanding, whose neshama becomes so stained by sin and the desires of the flesh that they will not return to the Creator. Paul then writes, 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what's Paul talking about with this statement? Those who are called and predestined, who conform to the image of the Son, Yeshua, Hashem has justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. This speaks to eternal judgment and the resurrection. As we've discussed on past episodes, there are three books. The book of life, or the book of the righteous. The book of the wicked, or book of death. And there is a book of the in-between. Those who are called, predestined, and conformed to the image of Yeshua, Hashem justifies them meaning their names are moved from the book of the in-between into the book of life or the book of the righteous. Hallelujah. This is, this is God's grace. This is the favor. This is justification. That's what justification is, moving from that one book, from the book of the in-between into the book of life as we do those things, the called, the foreknown, and the, the, those who conform to the image of the Messiah, our master. And the glorification, this speaks to the resurrection and redemption, final redemption. Those whom Hashem has justified, whose names are now in the book of life, they will be glorified even as Yeshua was resurrected in glorified body, so too will we be glorified at the resurrection and final redemption. Okay, so that seems like a lot. There's a whole lot going on in there, and I hope this has blessed you because there's so much more, more going there, but please take these things. Study to show yourself approved of God. I appreciate you giving me some of your time. Make sure that you fulfill the assignment to which you were called by Hashem as he foreknew you and predestined you to conform to the image of the Master Yeshua. Part of that mission is to let others know where to find the bread of life, that they too may be conformed to his image. Go out and give him heaven. And until next time, may the favor our master Yeshua found in the eyes of the Father be upon you and your household, and the peace of Hashem, which passes all understanding, be yours. Grace and peace. Chain Shalom.